I first came across the concept of Green Hush uh, when um, talking to my Swedish colleagues. Um, I'm Lucy Shea. I'm the CEO of Futera. And Futera is a sustainability agency. We've got offices in London, Stockholm, and New York. And it was my Swedish colleagues who first introduced me to this idea of Green Hush when they said, you Brits are just a bit odd. You're always boasting about your efforts and what you've achieved in your kind of sustainability efforts, but we've noticed that you don't necessarily always um, actually do what you've set out to say that you'll do, um, or you don't always necessarily focus on your sustainability initiatives themselves, you're more interested in talking about them. We, the Swedes, like to make sure we do things right, and then we start communicating about them. That was one of my first intros to some of the cultural differences that we get around green hush, green wash, and all the rest of it. So, um, in this session, we're going to look at some of the origins of Green Hush and why it is that sustainability communications aren't more assertive. I'm joined with a brilliant panel. We've got Thomas, Sarah and Bob um, from Where Good Grows, uh, B&Q and Nando's. And we're really going to be looking at some of the origins and what stands in the way of um, good sustainability communications. So what I'll do is set us up with just a few minutes on where we at Futera see some of the major barriers to sustainability communications. And to do that, I will uh, show you um, a tool that we've just created and we've just come launched last week, actually, at, um, uh, in, in San Francisco. Because what we find in talking to our clients and looking around this inter industry internationally is that there's something we've been forgetting to do. We've been assuming that the business case for sustainability communications is made. We've been working under the assumption that we don't need to prove that there's a business benefit to communicating on sustainability, whether that's to consumers or suppliers or to investors. And actually, that business case has not been made. Um, if you look at most, particularly FMCG, particular consumer goods companies, I mean, we've heard so many from here today around um, consumer engagement, um, often around trying to get consumers on board in order to reach environmental or sustainability targets. But there's very little out there on some of the business benefits, the brand benefits of communicating on sustainability. And that's where I see some of the major barriers. So a little bit of a setup from me. Then we're going to go to the other guys. And we're going to leave plenty of time for questions at the end. But I thought what I might do is very briefly show you uh, this tool that we've created to build the business case for sustainability communications. So for the latter half of our question is, why Green Hush and what are we going to do about it? These are some of the things we can do about it. So this site is called businesscasebuilder.com. It's launched, it's live, and what it does is take you through some of the steps you might want to take when building your business case. And that's building your business case for, for downstream activation. This is not around building your business case for upstream. This is not about making the business case to change things in your supply chain. This is about proving the case for communicating, proving the case for engaging your consumers and others. 
So one of the first things you need to do is um, actually work out the right behaviour or the right thing that you want to communicate on. So um, if you are a business, you would want to work out what some of the material issues you have that you would want to communicate on. So um, often you'll do that through doing the materiality process. And then you'd want to work out what the role of your consumer is in that, in that process as well. And that's often by doing a life cycle um, analysis. And we found that there's basically kind of four areas that businesses are taking action on in communicating. Waste and resources, energy and water, healthy living, and sustainable products. I'm sure there's more. One of our big calls for this thing is to please contribute and add your own, uh, tell us what you think and add your own cases. So once you've found the behavior that you want to um, communicate on, that might be recycling, that might be obesity, that might be diabetes, that could be anything that we're looking at in sustainable lifestyles, the most critical step you can do is work out what value you want to create for your business. So um, we've worked out there's broadly six areas. Again, this might change over time, from regulation to risk, reputation, market, sales, and innovation. And for those of you that's been in this industry for a while, you'll know that we're quite used to talking about regulation and risk and reputation, but we're just starting to teach ourselves how to talk about how to get market and sales and innovation, market growth. Now, the reason that's important is the, one of the big barriers that we've got, one of the reasons we're stuck in the niche and stuck at small-scale sustainability comms and stuck at pilot purgatory is that the, the, the strategic fit between what we're trying to do in sustainability comms and the business objectives often isn't made. So if you're making the case to your board or your boss or even you know your, your brands, it's really critical that you're going to pick on a couple of the things that the business is likely to want to drive. You know, it's no good talking to your board about innovation if they're purely risk-focused. So once you've, you've picked your right behavior, you've picked the um, value that you want to create for your business, now what? Well, then it's all about tactics. And we've discovered, again, that there's... Um, broadly about eight tactics that businesses and brands are using to engage with their consumers, from adapting products through to behavioral influence. I'm not going to go through all of these now. These are all up on the site. But the one thing I think it's worth saying is you can see here there's a little bit of a matrix. It turns out that there are some um, surprising findings about which tactics uh, work for which value. Um, it's, you know, it's pretty hard to get um, uh, 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 risk and waste through new products or through discontinuing products. But to show you what I mean, I'm just going to finish off by showing you just a couple of examples, ways that brands have communicated on sustainability, have really marketed on this, and actually had um, a business benefit. So let's have a look here. Adapt product in here... I've got Levi's. Now, um, Levi's waterless jeans. It, it's talked about quite a lot, this initiative. They've had a, a fair amount of press from this. Um, and what they did is they um, reworked their, um, uh, the, the way that the jeans are washed, basically. So pre-consumer, pre-they're bought, the way the jeans are washed, and radically reduced the water in there. They did a big communications campaign. It was across all the Levi's store. It's not really there at the moment, but they are there if you ask about them. And they've had an enormous growth in sales of these waterless jeans. 
Um, Levi's are a little bit cagey about the exact sales figures, but we do know that in 2011, when waterless jeans were introduced, 1.5 million pairs were made, and this year, 29 million pairs are going to get sent to Levi's store. I mean, that's a huge, huge market growth. Um, just another one, let me go out this full screen, is under, one of my favourites, under behavioural campaigns. So that's, that's general sustainability communications, um, kind of tweaked to get consumers to take up sustainable lifestyles. Um, one of my favourites here is Volkswagen. Now, has everyone here seen the Fun Theory advert? Yeah, the one with the, the 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 escalator and the stairs next to it, and the stairs turn into a piano key. Yeah, I have it here. It's just I don't have very much time. So, if not, look up Fun Theory. And basically, you've got an enormous amount of people choosing not to take the escalator, but to walk up the stairs because they've been turned into a piano grid. It's really fun. But the question that everyone always asks—I've been showing this clip for years and years and years—they say. What on earth is the brand benefit? What on earth has this got to do with Volkswagen? Well, through positioning their brand with this fun theory and other um, sustainable lifestyles interventions, Volkswagen's Sweden's share of the auto market grew from 10 to 13%, and they got their market share in the eco market from 8 to 147 It's an increase of 87%. So they've managed to drive a huge amount of brand value and actual market share. And just one last one, it's one of our clients, Max Berger, um, again in Sweden, around innovation and market share. What they've done is they've labelled, um, they do lots of efforts around sustainability comms, but the one I want to show you here is they labelled their menu with the amount of um, carbon in each and every single product. So you can see that your beef burger has much more carbon than your veggie burger. Um, and when we first um, uh, you know, considered this campaign, we didn't know if it was going to work. I mean, a simple labelling of carbon, uh, uh, tons of carbon or kilos, how on earth is that going to change consumer behaviour? But it did. We think it's something to do with the social proof of ordering at the counter. Again, maybe it's because it's in Sweden, but we've got some incredible business benefits here. Um, uh, Customer loyalty increased 27%. Some of that is down to this. Some of this is down to others. Sales of the low-carbon alternatives increased by 16%. So there's, there's a, there's, we're starting to get the business case for doing sustainability communications and engagement. But fittingly, and in kind of keeping with the title of this, this talk, there's still a little bit of green hush even around sharing this data. We've got 50 case studies here from our clients and from elsewhere. And it was really, really hard to get, hard to get hold of this data. Businesses are a, a little bit shy about sharing um, some of these commercial results. Now, some of these are going to be for confidential reasons. But I think there's also something we're battling here, which is we're very used to talk about doing things because it's the right thing to do. We're very used about talking about consumers helping us meet our environmental targets. We're not so used to talking about the profit motive for sustainability. And I think that what hopefully this can do, and I hope this on this session, is to unlock some of those barriers. So that's it from me. No questions, please, at the moment. We're going to have all our questions at the end. I'm now going to hand over to Sarah, from Sarah Greenaway, B&Q, um, and we're going to look at what's up, taking some of this kind of 
you know, hard data around business case, Sarah fantastically has done a survey. She's going to tell you a lot more about that than I will. But we've got some more kind of data, qualitative data this time around what some of the origins, the barriers are to Green Hush or sustainability comms and how we can start getting over some of them. So, Sarah, over to you. Okay. Good afternoon. Um, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm responsible for sustainability communications at B&Q. Um, I can see some of you in the room probably thinking, what sustainability communications? Um, Greenhush is something that I've grappled with for uh, the last five years, certainly, uh, with B&Q. And so today I'm really happy to share some of those learnings, and I hope they might prove useful for you. Um, in addition to my experience, I thought it would be good to ask a few of my colleagues and compatriots what their views were too. Um, so I sent out a very small and not hugely scientific study, I should say, just to get a feel. Um, and these six key points that I'm going to share with you are the results of, of that survey. So the first one that came through loud and clear is this is a very, very intimidating subject. It's intimidating, particularly for marketeers, um, because it's just an elephant and they don't know where to start. And if you happen to be a brand manager who's come to a, uh, work on a brand that has sustainability as, as core to its uh, values, then it's a whole new thing that you've got to learn, and it's really quite challenging. Um, in addition to that, then, there's a real fear that I'm going to say the wrong thing, I'm going to make a claim that's incorrect, I'm going to make a really public mistake here. So the consequence of that really is just inaction, that it's avoided and, and marketers just don't engage with it. The second thing is complexity. And again, the marketers in the room will know, um, and I certainly place myself in this group, that the best campaigns are based on really simple, clear claims. That's what we're about. We're about finding a really simple way to say things. And in fact, the difficulty with sustainability is it's not simple. It's super multifaceted. And even if you come up with a claim, it's very often liable to have holes picked in it. It's very difficult to find something that's simple, goes straight to the point, and is absolutely robust. Again, the consequence of that tends to be silence. Is it relevant to my brand? And I think this is a really, really important point. And it's only by understanding what the brand stands for and what the, the customers are looking for that you can make a decision about whether sustainability is relevant. And the point I would make is it's not relevant to every brand. Um, you know, everyone's kind of talking about how we should talk about sustainability, but the reality is it doesn't apply to every brand. Of course, it, it applies to every business, but not necessarily to the brand and the communications of that brand. And I think that... Um, Real clarity on the brand mission is absolutely essential. And once you know that, then you know what to talk about. But once again, I think marketeers aren't sure, is this really relevant? And so they don't talk about it. That's the big one. It's in red, because that's always the problem. Um, sustainability, is, it's a long-term thing. It's a market share driver. It's a loyalty driver. And we all know how hard that is to prove and how hard it is to demonstrate return on investment. However, I really do think that that's changing because I truly believe that customers are changing. I've read a number of things recently that say 60, 70% um, of consumers say they will actively choose brands with purpose. Now, to me, that must surely begin to justify investment in communications. Integration, this is a slightly different um, point, but I think um, certainly sustainability professionals that I talk to um, really feel this. 
Um, they often find that they're banished to broom cupboards. Certainly, being Q's sustainability team lived in the broom cupboard for a long time. Um, when they live in the broom cupboard, they cannot support marketeers. They can't help to push the business forward and to integrate it into the business. So actually, in a perfect world to me, there is no sustainability team at all because the whole business, it, it's part of what the business does. And from a marketing department point of view, every marketeer would think about sustainability issues before they, before they even start. It would just become in the muscle of the business and, and in the way that you communicate. However, I think we're away from, uh, way away from that right now. Um, and the more structured way to achieve integration is to ensure that the brand is absolutely clear. What does, what does sustainability mean to my brand? And what does it mean to my customers and how can I talk to them about it? And that's, again, it's not only about integration of sustainability into the business, it's about integration of sustainability into the brand mission. And lastly, and, and definitely not leastly, <coughs> um, vision and um, the sixth P of purpose. Um, businesses are, by nature, very, very short-term. We're all about, well, particularly in retail, we're about next week's sales, next month's sales, next quarter's sales. And I do think that this is, makes it very difficult to get a business to look at the much longer game of social change and environmental change. And, and this kind of myopia really restricts visionary change and, and, and the vision to push purpose through the brand and through the business. So um, my advice to brand marketers is actually you need to learn some new stuff. You really need to get to grips with sustainability and learn the part that's relevant to your brand and make some noise about it because we're all sitting too quietly and until we start break, making some noise, nothing will change. And secondly, it's the same advice to the sustainability people. Learn what the marketers need. Help them. Help them find those claims. Help them to, to say what needs to be said and to drive things forward and also really and truly make some noise. So that, for me, this is the point. It's about bringing the two together and together really starting to make a lot of noise, a lot of green noise together. I'm just asking you one question before we pass over to Thomas, which is um, what's been your, in your time at B&Q, what's been your most assertive sustainability communications wow. okay. and which has been the one which you have regretted most? <laughs> okay. Um, I think the, the most... By, by far, well, the most successful and assertive thing that we've done is the campaign that we did around with, in collaboration with Friends of the Earth last summer. Um, that was to support uh, their call for a Be Action Plan, and we supported them um, through our, particularly through social media, but also through press, um, in order to push the government uh, to create an action plan. I think we got massive engagement through social media with our customers, and we really understand that that's a big deal for them and that they're interested. Um, and, of course, from our point of view, we're encouraging people to plant pollen-rich plants in their gardens. So it kind of it joins up all the way. It's an important issue. We can actually drive some real change, and also we can help our customers do something about it. Great. And your biggest regret? My biggest regret. Uh, <laughs> probably just, um, rather than a communication that was a regret, it's just the lack of getting communication out there and being able to engage the business. And my point about ensuring that sustainability is part of the brand, I speak from absolutely from the heart because although sustainability has been part of our business for a long time, we're only beginning now to make it actually part of the brand. 
and, and now things are changing. Yeah. But I guess in terms of regret, it would be that I didn't clock that sooner and ram it home <coughs> five years ago that this needs to be part of the brand. That said, I might have got a no. So. Has, has that been making it part of the brand? Has that been led from the Net Positive initiative or way before? It's multiple things. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, see, you know, if you haven't got a CEO that's not supportive, then it's too difficult. Well, that's not true. I mean, we do have a fantastically supportive CEO at Kingfisher in Cheshire. But at the same time, you know, all around the business, increasingly people are doing things. You know, increasingly the marketing teams are interested. Increasingly we're getting great results on transport, so we're getting good PR. It's just a, it's a, it's a build. Yeah, thank you. Okay, now I'm going to use this one. Thomas, over to you. Um, enough of the uh, hard business case and the surveys. Thomas is going to talk to us a little bit about the language of love and therapy. Brace yourselves. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad to be back in London again, and I'm so glad to see some familiar faces in the audience as well. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'll just give a very, very short introduction. Um, I'm the author of Goodvertising. Uh, I'm also the director of the Goodvertising Agency. We specialized in sustainability communication. And thirdly, I'm also the founder of Where Good Grows. And uh, just to quickly... For those of you actually exhibiting in there, as so you can go and see it with your real eyes, but what we're trying to do is actually showcase the very best sustainability initiatives from around the world across 30 sustainability categories, so you can go in there and very visually see the storytelling, how it's working, uh, the value for brand and bottom line, people and planet, and the scalability. So come visit me after uh, this little talk, and we chat more about it. Um, anyway, um, I was um, so glad when I got invited here to um, talk about the green hoss problem because it's something I've been advocating for for quite some time to make you guys realize the value of talking about sustainability. Also because personally I think that we cannot uh, get consumers on board this journey and change the mindsets and behaviors if we're not talking up about that. But being so positive about it and the encouragement, I think we keep hearing the same messages all over again. So we keep talking about the same things, we keep going to the same conferences to talk about the greenhouse problem, and not a lot is changing. So instead of kind of feeling like a parrot just repeating the same things over and over and over again, I, I kind of thought I, I have to bring a different message to the table this time. And I was really, really frustrated in this black hole, and I thought, you know, what is really essentially the problem? And Looking at RTNU, and you, you're all highly skilled professionals. So that's definitely not the problem. We've got the skill, we've got the talent. Um, secondly, I thought it's really not a problem between brands and people or consumers, as we in marketing likes to call them. Uh, I don't think the problem is there either. I think the problem is actually between the marketing department and the sustainability department. And it's a topic that's been talked about a little bit at this conference. I think uh, Julian from Dream in a Box, he put it quite uh, eloquently uh, at, uh, at his presentation. So my purpose today was really to see how can we... It, it seems like sustainability is, is, is almost like Venus and we've got marketing as Mars. But how can we create this more fruitful relationship between the two? And normally when you've got a question, the only sensible thing to do was really be to Google that question. So that I did. I googled couples therapy. And this was what really came up. Um, five principles of effective couples therapy. And it's by uh, Susan Krauss Whitburn. She's a professor in psychology at uh, the Massachusetts Whitburn University. So she should know what she's talking about. Um, 
I see you all sitting with your iPads, your laptops and all that. You don't have to take notes to share this with your significant other in marketing and sustainability. Google it. So you can leave your laptops and, and mobile phones and all of that. Um, so I'll bring you through these uh, five principles. Um, I can probably just read them aloud from there anyway. Principle number one. Change the view of the relationship. You should stop playing the blame game. You should instead urge to understand the relationship for the situation that it is in and learn how each other interact. Principle number one. Principle number two. Modify dysfunctional behavior. Change the way in which you both interact with one another. This means ensuring that there's no physical or psychological damage occurring. <laughs> Very important. Principle number three. Decrease emotional avoidance. Keeping private feelings to yourself will certainly cause further problems in a relationship. Growing emotionally distant is a dangerous place to be when trying to make a marriage or relationship work. You should focus on feeling more secure about being open and expressing feelings. I see some of you nodding already. I don't know if it's because you can make this work at work or work at home, but <laughs> use them as you want, you know. Uh, principle number four. Improve communication. I think we heard that from, from your site as well. Learn how to communicate with one another effectively. Uh, you should also consider which types of communication might be more effective considering the unique situation. On to principle number five. And this is one of my favorites, actually. Promote strengths, pointing out individuals, individual as well as relationship strengths, assets in getting more enjoyment out of relationship. Such a large portion of therapy, therapy focuses on problems. So rediscovering strengths assists you in staying positive and acknowledging the good. And I think, essentially, that's the whole theme of, of this session. That's kind of the problem. So what I want to do kind of in, 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 in the therapy session is saying maybe we should redefine this old session title because it's all about problems, the greenhouse problem, why sustainability communications aren't more assertive and what to do about it. So sorry, Lucia, I'm going I'm to suggest a new session title, which is uh, this one, The Green Solution, Why We Should Value Each Other More to Create Powerful Sustainability Communications. And to get this to work a little bit, I want you all to say it together. <laughs> Are we ready? The green solution, why we should value each other more to create powerful sustainability communications. Bravo, give yourself a hand on that one. I actually thought I was supposed to do that twice because I, I didn't think you could do it the first time, but, but amazing. Okay. Um, the, last, the last thing I want to say is, of course, um, take this home uh, in your departments, make the fire principles work, and beware, if it, if it doesn't succeed for you, um, I will bring a real therapist, Susan Crouch, and stakes with me next year to give you some more um, serious therapy. And if you're in a state of anxiety at some point, you can call me during the conference. I might come out and help you guys. But um, anyway, thank you and good luck with uh, the relationship.
thank you, Thomas. Thank I'm you. feeling um, marvellously relaxed after the therapy uh, session. Um, just one uh, or two questions for you before we pass over to Bob. So um, there's a nice theme of value coming through, whether it's um, valuing business value or whether it's valuing each other, which I think is great because that's the only way things get done in this world is if we actually... Um, uh, more, more carrot-less stick, I always say. Um, can you point to an um, example that you've worked on or one that you think is great out there where uh, the sustainability and the marketing department valuing each other or even the board valuing each other has led to a really good, assertive, strong, valuable piece of sustainability comms? Um, I think that was one of the reasons really to do Where Good Grows was to actually showcase some of these really great initiatives because they are out there. Mm. So uh, we, we put a lot of that stuff on the platform. Uh, at the top of my mind, there's probably a lot of you guys out here doing great work. Uh, Nike, I think they've done brilliantly in integrating the two departments. So that would be one that's kind of on the top of my head that's doing, that's doing great stuff and turning out good, involving commercials. They're also innovating with the flying issues. So I think they're... Definitely not on the right track. And one other question. Sometimes we know that, um, without naming any names, um, uh, departments can get cut out uh, if they're... If, uh, so sustainability departments can sometimes get completely cut out of green marketing campaigns. Have you seen that happen? And is that always a bad thing? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know, you know, essentially, again, I think the two should work together. I think it's, it's really bad when the sustainability department have too much of a say because sometimes it becomes way too technical. I'm hugely overgeneralizing now. On the other hand, sometimes when marketing get the upper hand, you know, that's when sometimes greenwashing happens. So I think, again, uh, principle number five, let's value each other's strengths. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. So, our final panellist is Bob Gordon from Nando's. Please take the stage. Now, Bob's going to shake it up a little bit by disagreeing with everything that's gone before. Uh, I think tell us a little bit about how Green Hush is not a problem. Is that right, Bob? Something like that. Um, yeah, I am. I think I am going to do that. Let's see where we go. Um, first of all, I'll introduce myself. I'm Bob Gordon. I am the Do the Right Thing Manager at Nando's. That's my official title, Do the Right Thing Manager. Um, just tell you a little bit about that and how I feel about it. Um, I've got mixed emotions on it. In my lighter moments, uh, I find it kind of amusing, fun. It's a nice little icebreaker. In my darker moments, I think to myself that this is complete, well, bollocks. We've got to save the planet here. We've got to fundamentally change the way we do business. This is not doing the right thing. It's not fluffy. This is fundamental. And actually, as my relationship with my job title has evolved, (laughs) I have a very good relationship with my job title now. (laughs) I've come to realize that those two things are one and the same thing. We in Nando's are not a green brand, and I'll come on to talk about that. Um, But the way I will make change within Nando's is by taking very small steps. And those very small steps come in a package of do the right thing. Collectively, those small steps will take us on a long walk. If I start talking about sustainability, if I start talking about what a sustainable chicken looks like and the challenges we have to 2020, 2050, to create the sustainable chicken, I've turned them all off before I begin. So... Doing the right thing is exactly what I'm doing, and I'm doing it step by step in order to create some meaningful change over a longer period of time. 
In terms of the brand, Nando's is not a green brand. Nando's is a youth brand. It it's fits with youth culture. Uh, it's all about fun. It's all about music, uh, which celebrity ate in Nando's last night. It's not about our journey to sustainability. Um, and it's about peri-peri chicken. And to try and get any kind of sustainability messages in amongst all of those messages that we put out that draw people into our restaurants, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen anytime soon. There's a, there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, when people come and eat in our restaurants, they're not really thinking about ethics. Some research, uh, I don't know if it's our research or whether it's industry research, says that when people choose to, to eat in particular restaurants, they're not looking at the ethics. They're looking at, well, do I like peri-peri chicken? Um, is there a Nando's nearby where I want to be? Uh, is the price point right? Is the quality right? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Does it suit everybody's needs? Actually, ethics comes quite low down that decision-making tree at the point at which you're looking for a restaurant and going somewhere to eat. Um, so... Challenging for us to get any messages in amongst that. The other thing, I think, is that we don't have a particularly good story yet. So it was Jim at Starbucks earlier who, who well, actually a few of us have shown us the diffusion of innovation. The, um, he called it a bell curve. Uh, I would call it a normal distribution, but that's just some cultural differences. <laughs> we, <laughs> we sit further back in the normal distribution. So we're not a deep green company. We, there's no, we're not communicating with our customers in that way. We don't expect our customers to respond to us in that way. And our stories are not particularly impressive, actually, and I'm going to share a couple of examples with you. But the two examples I'm going to use, I'm also going to use to, to just demonstrate this point that I'm continuing to make, that um, green communications don't really fit very well for us and for our brand. So the first is that um, a couple of years ago, we made a film internally, before I started at Nando's, um, that was all about the way in which we manage our waste. And it was a film for internal consumption. So... Uh, the style in which we did it, we, if you work for Nando's, just a bit of, bit of language for you. If you work for Nando's, you're a Nandoka. Okay, and that's just the language, whereas you're an associate partner wherever you are at other places. So our film is Nandoka's Investigates. So a couple, of, a couple of Nandokas go off on their film and they explore the restaurants and they see what's happening on our waste. The, the cut and thrust of the film was we're really good at managing our waste. Well, actually, the figure we had over that year on the amount of waste we were recycling was 22%. At the time, I was working for the British Retail Consortium, and the majority of the large supermarkets were zero waste to landfill or heading that way pretty much within the year. And here we are being proud of our 22%. I then come into Nando's and I say, I'm not proud of 22%. That's rubbish. We need to improve that. And as I talk to people in the restaurants, they say to me, hey, but I've seen that film. We're really good at managing our waste. Actually, I would be better off if we'd never made that film in the first place because I would be starting from zero. As it is, we greenwashed, and I'm starting from below zero to bring people up to a point to say, no, we're shit at that. We need to change that. <laughs> it's difficult. I've got to overcome a barrier. We created a barrier for ourselves. The other example, then, is something, a project that um, I've been working on for the last year or so, which is um, a project we're calling No Chucking Our Chicken. We cook our chicken in the ovens, uh, pre-cook it before customers come in. And when a customer comes in and, order, and orders, we grill the chicken. So at the end of the night, we've always got chicken that we've cooked and we're keeping hot And then for the final customer who never comes in. We throw away, we, we rear, transport, slaughter, chill, cook, and bin a third of a million chickens every year. Well, we're changing that now. So in about 20 restaurants, and it gets more every week, we're now putting that chicken in the freezer. And then a charity will come around once a week and they'll collect that chicken and, and that chicken's getting eaten. Other than the fact I've just told you about that, we don't intend to tell anybody about that. 
that we will hush that. We will quite deliberately hush that for, for one very, very simple reason. The reason that we're doing that is because the people who work in our restaurants hate throwing chicken away. So the reason the project was born, actually, was because when we spoke to people in the restaurants, they said, we want to stop throwing this stuff away. So we said, fine, we'll find your solution for that. If we start using that as a tool, as a means to market, to develop the brand, then the people who are doing it will say, you didn't put this in place so that I can feel better, so that I can sleep easy in my bed. You put this in place so you can sell more chicken. That's disingenuous. Actually, that would be disingenuous because it's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because we want to sleep easy in our beds. We don't want to throw a third of a million chickens away. So there are some very, very good reasons why some companies, particularly those that sit in the middle of that diffusion of innovation, are not communicating on green grounds. I appreciate that it needs those big, um, iconic brands and, and the likes of B&Q to really take a lead on this and the likes of Starbucks and Coca-Cola and all of these big businesses that have stood up um, over the last couple of days and spoken about green stuff, but it's not for the smaller players. And then to, um, I forget who it was, it, actually I think it was still Jim at Starbucks, his dilemma. If we are to solve the sustainability issues that we face today, we need everybody to come on it. We are coming on it for all of the reasons that it is good business rather than it is good brand. So we want to have sustainable chicken in our restaurants in 25 years, but we will probably still not be a green and sustainable brand. I think that's valid. I think it's, I think it's right and proper. And for the majority of companies, I think that will be true. So, again, I've seen a couple of times in the last couple of days people saying, we do this and we win awards and we feel great about it. Well, there's only so many awards that can go around. We can't win those awards. We're never going to win those awards. So I'm not striving for it. Let's let those big, iconic brands go and strive for that, and we will use a completely different set of drivers. So um, I should disclose that uh, Nando's are a client of ours, um, and now I'm going to ask you a really important yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, which is, um, you, so we talked about curves before. We know that 18 to 25-year-olds actually really care a lot about sustainability, maybe not in a traditional way of talking about green and certainly not around carbon trading or anything like that, but there tends to be a massive uh, spike in uh, desire to be kind of a, you know, a good person and do the right thing, um, but not always a lot of behavior f f rolling through from that. You know, most 18 to 25-year-olds don't necessarily have that much control of their lives and how they wash their clothes, whatever it may be. So you tend to get a little bit of a long tail going off with not much behavior being uh, taken up. But, you know, you're Nando's. You have this big demographic of 18 to 25-year-olds. Really, you don't there's any desire from them to be... Um, communicated to in a kind of a positive way about Nando's doing the right thing? I, th I think there's some desire. And I think you, you, the issue here, and you've, you've alluded to it already, but it is exactly this. I think your figure, Sarah, was 60% of people would choose brands with purpose. And it's kind of kind of figure you see a lot. If we were a brand with purpose, then more people might come through our door. But at the point at which they're making a decision to come and eat at Nando's, that's not high on their agenda. So that doesn't necessarily translate through into sales in a way in which we look at it and, and we uh, analyse it and then we make our decisions about where to put our marketing budget. Yes, I can see that maybe one day, once we've got much more of our house in order, there's an opportunity for us to put that communication together. But I, I'm slightly fearful about that communication at the moment, actually. If we're only w recycling 22% of our waste... What is our message? Where are we going? And when are we open to uh, criticism? When do we put our head above the parapet and then someone finds out that actually, you know, we are. We're serving intensively reared chicken. 
We're only recycling 22% of the stuff out of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. We haven't got a particularly good handle on cutting our energy use. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stories that we need to sort out within that <laughs> before we can start putting up some, some really good, really bold messages about the brand itself and how sustainable that mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. It's not the principle, it's the reality. Yeah. It's the reality of how it plays through into the way in which the business works. We're going to get Bob to do the business case builder after this session. <laughs> um, all right. So the questions open to the floor. And uh, we've got a gentleman here already, um, just over here. And one of the questions, we've had some bold uh, challenges here. We've had some couples therapy. We've had some uh, input from various colleagues. We, we had a big um, statement from Bob here about this isn't for mid-cap players. This isn't for the smaller brands. So I'd love to hear any views from the audience on that. And also, sir, I don't know if your question has anything to do with that or something different entirely. Um, we are, um, was it going to get right around? We are, uh, Nando's is not a client of ours. We are a client of Nando's. Mm -hmm. So uh, I work for Coca-Cola. Um, and uh, I uh, just wanted to, uh, you know, challenge or champion uh, Bob uh, in terms of McDonald's. So nobody goes to McDonald's because of their sustainability strategy. But, you know, in 2006, they were voted the most unethical company. Their, their stores and outlets were closing down. You wonder where the business was going, but they've radically turned it around. And if you look at their trust scores, they are almost in a direct correlation with the increase in their share price and they've done a fantastic job. And so, again, nobody goes to McDonald's because of their sustainability strategy, but it all talks of their core proposition, which is about quality, value for money, uh, where the ingredients have come from. Uh, and so I guess it doesn't have to be about green. It can be about you know, um, animal husbandry, local ingredients. Uh, and so whilst it, it doesn't come top in why should I, what are I going to eat tonight, it gives you confidence and loyalty and it removes some of the barriers as to why you shouldn't go there, etc. Brilliant. Now, just before you respond to that yeah. one, sorry, Bob, <laughs> we're going to take two more questions as well, so we've got a good spread and then we'll come back to respond to that one. So, gentleman over here, and do I have any other hands up? And then the gentleman back here in the striped shirt as well, please. Thank you. Uh, hi, Dwayne Barakar from Value CSR, a consultancy that helps business with their business case for sustainability. Um, my, my comment is, slightly evocative comment, um, that you're not really disagreeing with each other in some senses, that what you're saying very clearly is you need to brag about sustainability about as good as you're doing sustainability. So there's kind of a linear relationship between how much you're doing and how much then you brag about it and claim to be good at it. Okay. Evocatively inviting comment on that. Good, love that one. Thank you very much. And then final question at the back, and we'll take you. Obviously, got your one. Um, Hello, it's David Brunt from Axonabel. Yeah. It's a question towards uh, Sarah, really. Um, your comment on that sustainability communication is not relevant to all brands, or or, or may not be. I'm just wondering whether that, provocatively, uh, is a cop out, because uh, I think marketeers could very easily use that, if, you, if I call it an excuse, uh, although obviously I need to go to therapy with my uh, marketing colleagues there, um, is it an excuse not to do it? Um, because if you look at the challenges and also um, consumer attitudes, it is, it is relevant and maybe the challenge is to find a relevant way to communicate it through your brand rather than not to do it at all. 
Okay. So, Thomas, do you want to take question two to start with around bragging, bragging and only being as good? Okay, yeah, I can, I can do that. Um, yeah, I think any company can really start that journey, but I, I do agree with you. Uh, I think it's about being honest where you want to go, and I think Nando's could easily begin that journey and maybe even be a little bit more open about it. And, and I can't help thinking of... Um, of Chipotle and the amazing work they have done, kind of leading a category and, and beating a lot of the big competitors in a very, very short amount of time. And uh, I lived in Cape Town for two, uh, two years, and I saw some of the amazing uh, commercial work that Nando's was doing there, uh, commenting on politics and on social issues. And I think maybe that could be a place for Nando brands in the UK as well. Um, just before I go to Sarah, the, the question about bragging, I think, is a, is a, is a very interesting one. Um, you certainly need to be able to know what your material issues are and that you've got a foundation before you communicate. But there is, um, there is a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, not entirely. I'm not going to start saying we're going from green hash to green wash. But there's a particular area developing at the moment around sustainable behaviours. Um, that's what I was kind of alluding to at the start with the, with the business case. Um, there's a particular movement going on at the moment where businesses are not just looking at taking responsibility and making sure they've got all their material issues sorted in their uh, supply base, but actually starting to take responsibility for their consumer behaviour. And there, you can be a little bit more ballsy, if I may. Um, that's what Unilever has done. Um, I mean, I know they're quoted all the time, but for the purposes of this point, there's probably no better. They've set out to double the size of their business while halving their environmental impact. Similarly to Levi's, they know that a huge proportion of the impacts within their entire value chain sit in the hands of consumers. And so that target can only be met if consumers radically change their lifestyles and their behaviours. So, you know, you even knows they've got no idea about how they're going to do that. We work with a lot of their brands and categories. They're, they're getting there. I think whether the challenge then comes with that is while the macro case for that is really made, many businesses need to respond to sustainable lifestyles because of the, um, the, the resource constraints we're all under and the pressures that consumers are facing. The business case, brand by brand, is really hard. I mean, I'm sure many of you in the room are finding this, that, you know, for if you're selling shampoo, what on earth is the business benefit to you to get your consumers to spend less time in the shower? And that's, again, what some of this business case, and I'd love to hear some more from the floor about whether there's any good examples out there about how we can jump over that gap. And Sarah, over to you for okay. any bragging you feel like, <laughs> or um, uh, the brands not being relevant to brands. Okay. Um, I think uh, I, my, my background is, is brand marketing. That's what my training is. So my training is to look at what customers want, how to match your brand to those requirements. And the reality is that out there, there are still lots and lots of consumers who just aren't interested. They're not interested. They don't get it. They don't care about it, and it's not for them. And if your brand is, is a brand that, that targets those people, then it's really hard to justify. Why would you talk to them about something they're just not interested in? Now, I really, really hope that... We're on an upward curve. In fact, I'm certain that we are on an upward curve and probably in another, who knows, four years, five years, that group will become less and less and the brands that have talked about sustainable issues will become more and more powerful and bigger and bigger. So in a sense, it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I am a pragmatist. You know, every brand has a limited marketing budget and it's never big enough. And if you've got to be single-minded and you've got to come up with compelling claims that drive sales, talking about something that your audience isn't interested in just isn't worthwhile. Mm. 
Mm. So I, I, you know, I, I don't like to say that because for me, every brand should talk about sustainability, but I think it's just a, a, a reality of where we are on the curve. Five years ago, very few brands would have talked about sustainability at all. So, you know, we're, we're moving a huge distance already that all these people are here wanting to know how do we how do we talk about it and what do we say but there will always be a group that it's not relevant to i think that was my point um hopefully that will increase and be uh, more and more important as we as we proceed which makes a nice segue yeah, back really, to bob it really does um i don't i think there's a big let's be very clear on a, on a really important distinction here between uh being more sustainable in the way you do business and weaving sustainability into your brand identity. Okay, just because I don't think there's much appetite within Nando's to do that at the moment, and I'll talk about that in a second, doesn't mean there's not a massive appetite internally to be more sustainable. When I start talking to them about do the right thing issues, you get it at every level, whether it's at the board, whether it's when I talk to central support, whether, it's to, whether I talk to individual people within the restaurants, and that can be at manager level or at Nandoka level. People get this. People want us to be a better brand, a better business, rather. I wonder if the question with McDonald's, I think it's a fascinating one. I wonder if when McDonald's lost that survey in 2006 and became uh, least ethical business, were they respond, was, was it that customers had read Fast Food Nation, they'd seen all of this stuff about um, our food supply chains, uh, and they pinned it on McDonald's. The obesity debate was um, largely pinned on McDonald's. Uh, Globalisation and Americanization was pinned on McDonald's. They had a very negative image. When you asked a, a whole bunch of customers or potential customers what McDonald's means to you, it would have been very negative. So they would have had something to respond to. They would have had something to have an epiphany about and something to change in order to put their brand in a different position. So they have created their brand, and I think they've done it phenomenally effectively. The way they've reconstructed um, a lot of their stores, redecorated their stores, the way that they've got RSPCA Freedom Foods pork. I mean, incredible. Um, organic milk, free-range eggs. They've done an awful lot to really build that brand throughout. They've done it in response to a problem that they had. We don't live in that world. We, have, we live in a world where a brand is loved by loads and loads of young people because this celebrity's in there, that celebrity's in there. There isn't a drive for us to move away from that. That's working for us. So we won't necessarily... That if we're going to build green into our brand value, I think there needs to be love in our hearts as we do it. Our board needs to stand up and say, we really want this brand to move in that direction. That's not there at the moment. At the moment, it's we really want to keep going with what we're doing because it's working for us. And by the way, you can keep going with making us more sustainable in the way we do business. We just don't have to tell people about it. I think that's okay. And when the day comes that it is relevant to talk about it, we'll be ready because you would have been doing a great job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and when we're ready, then, as you rightly say, young people get this, and then we can take a proactive yeah. position that builds on doing it for all of the right reasons in the right ways rather than responding to an issue that we have because we've taken our eye off the ball. I would love to hear a bit more from the audience as well. So, um, and really get down in our last kind of 10 minutes or so to some of these real brass tacks and these real, uh, the real issues around sustainability comms. It's really easy to talk around brand and brand value without actually getting down to some of the drivers of this and some of the real barriers. Now, I'll share one of ours, and it, I think it links quite well to the couples therapy of before. We talk in Futera a little bit about um, the Viagra moment. And the Viagra moment is when um, everything is ready. Um, the communications are set. Uh, the board has actually signed it off. 
um, and you think you're all go, 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 but for some reason, the thing doesn't get launched. And, 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 <laughs> and we talk, I mean, there's been, this, I mean, we've got some experience of that. I'm sure in your certain, your brands and your businesses and your agencies, you're going to have seen that as well, where there's something almost good to go, but for whatever reason, it might be strategic fit with business. It might be some latest bit of consumer research. What is it that stops some of these big initiatives getting out there? So question open to the audience and also open to my panel. Because I think that I, I do agree with you. I think it was um, Don Tapscott who says if you're going to be naked, you're going to be buff, or you have to be buff. And I, I agree with you. It's like reality and, and principle needs to be aligned. But um, Nando's isn't just uh, the only brand, it's not an island in the marketing landscape. And I think if other brands are better at telling that sustainability story, and if they're better at showing care towards uh, your young consumers, I think that you would be losing that space e eventually. And I think seeing, for example, when uh, Pepsi launched their uh, refresh initiative and said goodbye to their celebrities, now they're back at the celebrities again. I think, I think you might be losing out of possibility from kind of keeping quiet for too long. Um, that's at least my opinion about it. Yeah, well, also, to keep the discussion going. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Can we have a microphone here, please? That's not necessarily what you guys are focused on. I think, though, if you've got a market that's 18 to 24, and you say that there is a genuine interest in making your business more sustainable, I think that the danger of not um, involving your market, who are actually at the forefront of sustainability like and leading the way, means that you're ultimately not going to be in the conversation. You will get, you will get like, pointed out eventually, but also it means that you're really, really going to be behind the ball. And I think... Sorry, I'm getting really nervous now. No, <laughs> um, carry on, I it's a great second, point. I think the second that you, that you try to go back into the internalising of traditional business um, and then from within that internal space try to build a more sustainable future. We've suddenly taken the focus off changing the world in the way that the, the spirit of this kind of conference is all about. Can I, can I just yeah. respond to that as part of the, uh, as part of the emerging conversation? And that is, I thought, was really, really interesting. And I... I um, well, I'm going to say it anyway. It's no aspersion on, on the guy who spoke or his business or the business he works for. But the guy from Mars stood up and he spoke about cocoa and the problem of sourcing cocoa and this massive issue they have in the supply chain. But customers aren't that. They don't really get it. So, uh, so let's talk about pet food. And here's an advert we made um, that talks about pet food and feeding uh, rescue dogs. Actually, the big sustainability issue in that conversation is cocoa. But he couldn't make that advert. So for me, the really big sustainability issue is the internal conversation within the business, not the advert we then go and make. We could make an advert about donating our surplus, but actually, for me, it's not even sustainable. Um, it may be that that chicken is getting eaten, but chicken's not a sustainable product. It may be that those homeless guys are getting a meal they wouldn't otherwise have got, but who's working on the underlying issues that made them homeless in the first place? So it's great, it's responsible, but is it enough, and should we be pinning our brand on it? Question. Mm. Um, yeah, gentleman at the back. Yeah. Sorry, can I just say one thing? Yeah, yeah. I think, like, I love the, the 
consumers, oh, I think that may, that's what makes the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. When um, Bruno said that it's um, it's not that consumers don't care, it's that they're they're shocked. And I think that um, when you look at a market of eighteen to twenty-four year olds who, like you say, don't have capacity or control over a lot of things, and you know what? At the end of the day, if they're in front of Nando's and the Nando's is right next to the cinema, they're probably going to go there anyway. But to really pay respect to your customers by letting them be part of that brand story and be part of that business solution, like an evolution of your business, moving more towards sustainability, you would be amazed how creative, um, like the, the solutions and the ideas that that market that you've got could come up with, you know, and being, being part of like that actual evolution of your business. So you could, you could make it, you know, you're not going out there and saying, we're going to be the most sustainable brand. But you don't need to be quiet about it either because otherwise mm. I think you really do risk... Um, you know, having having what happened with McDonald's happen. Mm. You know, if if you there comes a point you don't want to you don't want to hedge your bets too much on being on the sideline. Every now and then you need to put your head up on, above the parapet. You've got to choose the right moment. But if you don't do that, eventually everyone else is going to kind of move forward and you'll mm. be left there as a bit of a target. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. Yeah. 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 Just a point to slightly support that. Um, one of the issues that we face and and that I I feel quite strongly about is that. When you don't say very much, when the bad story comes, everybody notices it and, you, and it's really loud. Um, whereas if you're constantly saying things at a low level, but you're always saying, we do this and this is great and we do this and did you know about this? When the bad story comes, there's already a kind of, you've already got some equity in there in people's hearts of actually they're, they're a good company, they're good people. And, and if you do something that is supposedly bad, um, there's a bit more forgiveness. And also it's in context. It's in context of the fact that you do actually do lots of good things. So one of the messages I'm always trying to get across to the business is we need to talk about all this good stuff more frequently because then you don't need to be afraid of the odd Daily Mail article about our wood, for example, which is a great example. Mm. Um, it was very unjustified, um, but, but it looks bad because we don't talk about the good stuff. So I would agree with that. I think that's certainly what Starbucks find with its... Um, in, in this country, it's tax scandal, is there wasn't the credibility that had been built yeah. up in the US and the amount of work that had been done around sustainability comes there. It was easy yeah. to point the finger... Um, there's a gentleman at the back and a lady at the back too. Great, some, some women questions. More. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hi, uh, Stuart from the Rainforest Alliance. I just wanted to, Lucy, touch on your Viagra moment, really, and maybe try and unpick that a bit, um, particularly because I, I've recently had one, not personally, I may add. Um, <laughs> this but, is what we were looking with a, for, with a, <laughs> with a high-end luxury beverage client who we did a huge amount of work with to build up a whole campaign, as you've adequately or eloquently described, and then at the last minute it was pulled. And, you know, why was that? And I think really there were two elements to that. One is courage, and the other is immediacy. And I think we've touched on this at the beginning. The problem is with a lot of sustainability communications and a lot of sustainability issues is we're dealing with a chronic issue rather than an urgent issue. Whereas a lot of the, the marketing directors and brand managers are dealing with the next quarter or the next week. So that, that dichotomy between sort of the, you know, the long term and the short term really comes to play when they're put on the spot and say, decision time. And yeah. That's yeah, what, you know. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's what you often see at the board level is that trying to manage that long term and the urgent. I, I, I think that's spot on. Um, 
lady at the back, and then any other um, points on the Viagra moment? Happy to hear them. Hello. Hello. Um, my name is Maggie Dupree uh, with the League of Entrepreneurs uh, and the Human Agency. And I have a question, um, I think probably for Sarah and Bob. Bob, you said there's this difference between, you know, doing the right thing behind the scenes, becoming a sustainable business, and embedding sustainability into your brand. I think there's a, th a third um, issue we're talking around, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, which is helping people, consumers, citizens, along the journey of sustainability and, and communicating very complex issues in fora, which isn't your packaging, which isn't your, you know, that 30-second decision or seven-second decision about walking into a store. Just curious how you think about the, um, the bigger sort of responsibility or sort of role you have to play in educating, and particularly Sarah, I thought the presentation on the circular economy, I had no idea, you know, your degree of involvement as being Q in this. I, I'm incredibly impressed at the foresight of your organization and just curious what, what methodologies are working for you to help consumers and citizens understand those more complex issues. Thank you. Um, do you, do you no, want to go quickly first? Just, yeah, my quick response to that is it's more a question for Sarah. Actually, <laughs> uh, we, but don't let that stop you. <laughs> my, my short answer is we don't think about it, and that's kind of my point. <laughs> it's not that we don't want to. All right, Sarah, last point for you. So we do think. About, <laughs> we do think about it. We think about it a massive amount. So you know, the the circular circular economy is is uh, a bit out there for us at the moment. So that's very much work that we're doing inside the organisation, but. I think the better example for this purpose is the timber issue, whereby we know where 100% of our timber comes from, and that, that extends to sandpaper, wallpaper, tiny little bits of wood in something that you would never know was in there. We are incredibly strict. Now, for years, we've just put an FSC logo on there and wondered why we have no credit for that. And, and the reality is that we have to take customers on a journey. First, we have to say, this is a problem. Do you know there's a problem? And I think the great um, point that uh, was Bruno made about um, don't mistake uh, not caring for ignorance. You know, If people don't understand the issue, you can't expect them to care about it. So we're very aware that we have to first educate people about why it's important that, that we source sustainable timber. Then we have to explain how we do it so that they believe us. Then we have to show that they can trust us and that we're not just greenwashing. And then lastly, we can say, and here's that garden table that is sustainably sourced. Mm -hmm. So it's a long journey and it's a complicated journey um, and much more complex than as a business we're used to. Um, so the way I approach it is, is very much from a layering point of view and we use different media for different purposes. You can't take anybody on a linear journey and everybody's at a different point. So we just have to put all those different messages in different places. We use all our owned media, our brochures, our stores, social media, and then over time we'll do more paid-for uh, work. But it is just about telling the story in lots of different ways in lots of different places and, and, and as many hits as you can really get. And, and I also think that with sustainability issues, small and low-key is better uh, because consumers are they're wise, they're looking out for greenwash, um, they're always a little bit cynical. So if they're getting bits of messages here and there that are very credible and are helping them to understand the issues, I think um, it gives us a much stronger message. And hopefully over, over time, certainly the, in the UK, uh, people will understand what the issue is, why they can trust us, and what they can do about it. Great. 
So on that note, um, we're going to finish up so we can proceed in a rather linear fashion to tea. Um, however, I'm sure they've got many more questions for our panellists. I can still feel a few coming from the audience. So we're around over tea break, um, which we could do in a circular fashion, perhaps. Um, and I just, I'm not going to do that thing of summarising all the themes. I mean, we're all here. We could all hear what was going on. But I would just like to say thank you to the panel for being so very honest and forthright about the challenges and the opportunities that they're dealing with every day. So round of applause and thanks to the audience. You've been fab. Thank you.